0: And I heard this one about making beds, and I thought to myself, you know, I I just wonder what Pastor Andre would think of this particular podcast. So I bookmarked it, and then I called, as soon as I finished, I called him up and said, Andre, come on over here. I want to play this podcast for you. So we sat there, and we listened to that podcast. And at the end of that podcast, Andre got a little emotional. And uh, I said, well, what's going on? And he said, John, that's my story. That is my story. I didn't have a bed when I was growing up.
1: Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm an entrepreneur. And I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part, it unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated guys i believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits using big words that nobody understands on cnn and fox but rather an army of normal folks us just you and me deciding hey i can help that's what reverend john anderson and andre forges have done after being an orphan himself in haiti André somehow built an incredible orphanage called Place of Hope in Haiti that today is home to 45 children who otherwise wouldn't have a home. And after John played for André, our episode on Sleep and Heavenly Peace, which has built 140,000 beds for kids without them here, André felt called for the kids at his orphanage to build beds for Haitian kids without them orphans are doing this orphans building beds for children with homes i find it just so unbelievably awesome and i can't wait for you to meet andre and john right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors
2: every family has skeletons in their closet
3: It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey.
4: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Today is a cool day. We um, we started the morning getting covered by um, the local uh, what is that? Was it CBS, CBS or ABC? Alex? CBS affiliate. CBS? Mm-hmm. CBS? The local CBS affiliate covered our story and we got to spend some time this morning at the news station. And now we're getting spent time this afternoon to tell the story of Andre the Giant, which is interesting because I remember Andre Giant being this Cro-Magnon looking guy that was about six foot 11, 400 pounds that wrestled on WWE. But Andre the Giant in this case is a five foot nine inch <laughs> Haitian who's never wrestled a day in his life other than with just wrestling through life. And Andre, I can't wait to tell your story and his friend and mentor without whom I wouldn't even know who Andre is, which is John Anderson. So Andre and John, welcome. Thanks for being in Memphis. Thanks for for having us. So your story is, um, unique to our podcast and, beyond inspirational and the reason it's unique is we're starting to do organic stories stories that are born out of the podcast itself Mm -hmm. but it's also unique in that you're the first guy that we've interviewed that has heard about one of our stories and decided to do exactly what he heard in that story you heard the blueprint through the story you know the architect of the story And it's Luke Mickelson from Sleep and Heavenly Peace. And you are now going to take what you learned from his story and do it in your own community, which is exactly what the goal of an army of normal folks is. And you're the first story that we get to tell that has latched on to the goal. Um, But uh, how you're doing it and who you're doing it for and who you're doing it with, which we will reveal later in the show, is um, just beyond inspirational. I can't wait to tell that story. But first, Andre, tell me about you. Where do you come from? How did you grow up? Tell me about Andre the Little Giant when he was just a, a kid running around. Where do you come from? And tell me all that. Well, I was born in Haiti. I was born in a family
6: of uh, six, and I was the fourth of the family. And, uh, my father, when I was born, he has TB, you know, which is a very serious thing. So she cannot take care of me, you know, and then she has to um, take me to the orphanage. But after a little while, I realized that, you know, to be with my family, that's the best thing, you know, instead of, you know, the orphanage, because I have my mom and my dad, and even he has TB. So I decide to go and, you know, stay and live with them. So God gave me a little gift. I remember when I was at the orphanage, I got a gift from my sponsor from here. And that gift, there was a little box in it. When I opened it, I saw some Crayola, you know, like the little painting. So I used that Crayola, that's painting, to do some little little trees and stuff like that, so I can sell them. Yes, I did sell them, and with that money, I helped my mom with her medicine and, you know, to get her feet.
1: How old were you when you went to the orphanage?
6: I was uh, three, three years old.
1: So was your family in poverty?
6: Well, um, not like, and not really in poverty, just to beg, but they simply cannot, you know, taken care of of us because thing was really tough and my dad has pneumonia so he was sick too so that's make it very difficult for uh, for them to take care of the family
1: was your father able to work
6: uh yes he did but at that time he wasn't work you know he was years after that at the uh, sugar factory Sometime he spent like um, three days working, never come home.
1: He so stayed he, at the factory. Yeah,
6: all day, all night. He'd been working, you know, just to bring a uh, little food on the table, just for two days meals.
1: What, uh, you know, people see on TV famine and poverty in other countries, oftentimes in places like Africa and you know, I, I, I think because you see the images over and over again in magazines and on TV, we become a little desensitized to um, areas that are wrought with poverty. Um, and and the other thing is, you know, if you, if you look at a map, Haiti and the Dominican Republic, or Next door to each other, there's a line driven down, d- drawn down the middle of an island. And in the Dominican Republic, it's largely um, a successful place. And then there's a line on a map on the exact same island with people who are generally the same. But in Haiti, it is abject poverty. Why is that?
6: Well, I wish I can answer that question, you know. Um I'm going to try my best. The country is very corrupt. Country, it's corrupt. Yes. You probably know that. So my wife told me, please, <laughs> try to stay from, from kind of these things, you know, like uh politics and things like that. But, you know, that's, yes, it's very corrupt country. Uh, That's the reason that Haiti is like that. And also, people will use to do the garden, to do the planting, you know, the mountain. So everybody are focusing, you know, to go to Port-au-Prince, to the city. You know, they left the lands and everything they used to rock, you know, to produce like corn, beans, you know, rice. So they just go to Port-au-Prince. You know why they go to Port-au-Prince? No. Because they think that they're close to Miami. Everyone just focus, you know, to come to the United States.
1: Is, other than people who run the government, is there any money in Haiti for families, for normal families? Is there any way to, for a family to pull themselves out of poverty? If I were the government, I'm sorry to say that, no. So the reality is... When people hear that you had a mother and a father that were ill, but sent their three-year-old to an orphanage, it wasn't that they didn't love or care. They literally did not have the means to care for you. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. That's terrible because it's so poverty-stricken that it tears families up. Yes. So how long did you live in the orphanage?
6: Uh, I didn't stay for probably like a few years. A few years, yes,
1: a few years, I've... and at what age, well, I can remember i you know, I think some people I can remember I think when I was five years mm-hmm. old, maybe I'm sure I can remember things from first mm-hmm. grade when I was six, so if you stayed a few years, you were six or seven how um how did it feel being in an orphanage, knowing your family was? Not far away.
6: That was hard. That was really hard. And I had a problem, too. You know, um, when I was born, my leg was crooked. I have to um, um, wear a bracelet leg. So that makes it even very difficult for me. And, you know, the, the worst thing is, you know, when you see the other kids play, you know, then they play like soccer or high and sick. You cannot, you know, just watch them play. And then as a boy, you cannot do that, you know, because of my, the fakes I have in my legs. And the worst thing is, uh, when you go to school, make it hard for me to sit in the bench because of the legs, you know. So, and then I get bullied. They, they used to call me an ex. An X, X. <laughs> this is the X boy.
1: Because your legs because, crossed. Yeah,
6: the X boy. You know. But you know, I didn't get that, you know, get me down. You know, I just keep going and do what I got to do. You know, thank God, you know, and my leg was was healed and I will be able to to walk normally and then try to get a job. You know, as the age of like eight or ten. You know, I went to the missionary and tried to ask him for a job, you know, to clean the motorcycle, you know, water the garden and stuff like that. You know, that's for 50
1: cents, you know. I I think I read that at some point, and I'd like to know what age you were, you hung around a hotel hoping to see American businessmen or businessmen coming in where if maybe you carried their suitcase, they'd give you a cookie or something. Yeah,
6: there was a... (laughs) There was a guest house, yeah. I was there, and then uh, there was a missionary who came with a suitcase, and uh, you know, and he gave you a cookie. His name is uh, Johannes, Johannes and Louis Schubert from um, Germany. They're still in Haiti,
1: and he took a yeah. he took an interest in you.
6: Yes, and he helped me. They helped me a lot. They helped me with my school. Um, he has a school. So he has school, trade school. So with that little gift God gave me, so he gave me a job in that trade school to make that little picture, you know, uh, for them. So I, with that money, I I pay my school with that. And how old were you? I probably like ten, ten years, eleven years. Ten old. years old.
1: Yes. So then you went home. Oh yes,
6: I went home. So. At 11 years old, I got a job, you know, and cleaning the car for the missionary, you know, and the garden they have, you know, I have water, the garden, and I have to fertilize, you know, the garden. So, and then how to do that is go and get the cow, you know. Stuff, yeah. yeah, the fertilizer, <laughs> yeah, that yeah cow exactly, makes. And, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, um, you know, the fresh one, you cannot pick it up, so you have to burn it <laughs> to make it dry, so you can put it in the bag, and you know, to make extra money, you know. And then I, I had a little sister, and I'm the one who pays school for her too.
1: At that age, I I read that when yes. you first showed up at home, your father said. I can't feed you. And you said, it's okay. If you eat, I eat. If you don't eat, I don't eat. Yes. That speaks to me to just how bad you wanted to be at home.
6: Oh, yes. Home is home, sweet home. You know, no one wants to stay in the orphanage, you know. And then the experience I had in that orphanage at that time, even the little kids. I got food. I got good food. You know, that's the orphanage was running by uh, by missionary from Canada. Good food. You know what I I miss? Never say anybody say that I love you. You know, hold you in your home. It's just like you in book book camp, you know, and this go to church and go to school and this hope, hope, go to bed and this and that. But hard home is different, you know,
1: I think it's important for our listeners to understand that later on, we will talk about what you're doing now, and I think it's really important to understand where you come from to get perspective on why you do what you do and why you poured yourself into it. And now, a few messages from our generous sponsors. But first, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast so that you'll get the newest episodes in your library every week. And also, consider signing up to join the Army at normalfolks.us, because together, we can change the country. And you'll also receive weekly email updates about the Army. We'll be right back.
2: Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're gonna get through this together, folks.
1: I met a woman. I got my, you know. <laughs> I want you to tell that whole story. I'm I really, want you to tell that whole story. You know,
6: <laughs> I'm going to tell this whole story. You know, I was in Port-au-Prince, you know, school in Port-au-Prince. And then I never have a, a girlfriend, okay? So my sister called me and told me about she met a beautiful girl. you know, Haitian girl. How, how old are you? Uh, let's see. I was 18. 18? Yeah. And then uh, I said, No, I'm not interested because I have a bigger vision, you know, because I want to succeed. I want to walk. I want to do something, you know, with my life. So she kept persisting. So I took a bus, probably like three, four hours, you know, to Lekai. And my sister gave me a book. This is a girl who came to um, take her mother to the hospital, but they have to go through my house, you know, because there was thirsty. In Haiti, long time ago, if you need water, you test it, and you can go any place, you know, and then you knock on the door, they open the door, and then you say, can I have a glass of water? They will give you water. They have a special glass for visitors, okay? So that the same thing happened to my sister. So they stop at my house where my sister is and to get some water. And they that was almost the same age, you know, and they talk and stuff like that. So my sister just loved that girl for me. So one day my sister told me, uh, you better go and visit her, you know. So I said, okay. And I wake up at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> five o'clock in the morning. And uh I walk six
1: hours. You walked? Walk. Six hours. Six hours. hours. And at that time— How many door stops did you have to get a sip of water on the way? My goodness, that's a (laughs) lot of water.
6: The the only thing I had, you know, that's a piece (laughs) of sugar cane. You know, I got a a piece of sugar cane. I've been eating all the way in. So there was no bridge. I have just crossed all the water like that. But when I get to the village and I saw a boy, I I asked the boy, you know, I'm looking for this girl and this and that. He said, oh, okay, I know where she lives. So she bring me to a house and I knock and there's a girl came. And I said, mm, I don't think that's that her. You know <laughs> <laughs> The way my sister described that <laughs> that's not her, you know? So and then she said I told her, Yeah, I'm looking for this and that. He said, Oh, there's another one. You know? And she away in the mountain? So that took me 30 minutes. You had to go up a mountain? Yeah. That oh took me 30 minutes to go to the mountain. So when I reached her house, somebody pointed her house to me, so I walk in, knocking the door. And I expect that that girl going to open the door, to, you know, so, so I can see her. And then the door is open, and who I saw? That's her father. And he said, how can I help you? You know, I cannot tell her. I come to see your daughter. No, mm-mm, not in Haiti. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, I just passed by. You know, I need a glass of water. So she called someone to bring me the glasses of water. I thought that was her, but that wasn't her. After I drank the water, I said, can I have some more? They give me, you know, a second cup. I drank it. And then I keep walking. I don't even know where I'm going. I passed the house. But while I was in the mountain, I saw a girl coming from from the hill with a bucket of water in her head. And I kept looking, looking. I said, that must be her. You know, I mean, I'm telling you, it's beautiful. So uh, by the time she was home and I just run from the hill, you know, and I just grabbed that water from her head, you know, she didn't see me, she would go like this, what's going on, you know, so I help her with the water, and then my heart is beating so hard, you know, not the first time, and so I try to, to grab like something, a flower, or something like that, you know, get in my knees, you know, grab like a a uh, dead flowers, you know. I, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I get in my knees and I told her, My name is Andre. Please, will you marry me? And You so, just met her? Yeah. Will oh, you marry me? He, he, he's
1: not
0: finished. <laughs> will you
6: marry me so we can have a son named Gino?
1: Just ask. That's the first date. <laughs>
6: you know? And she looked at me. Can I ask
1: you a question? Yes. <laughs> You're telling me. That you walked up to a girl you'd never met. Yes. You snatched a bucket of water off her head mm-hmm. and gave her a dead flower and asked her to marry you.
6: Actually, it's not a, even the dead flower. Is this something like, I would say. Andre, you may be a it.
1: pastor, but if this all worked out, you got mm-hmm. game, bro.
2: <laughs>
6: <laughs> so? Well, she looked at me. She said, are you, you know, like sister, uh brother? I said, yes. And then she thinks that, you know, there's something is not right with me. Yeah, no, I
1: I think most people think there's something not right with you at this point.
6: I just left. I said bye-bye, you know. I just left because, you know, I I realized, man, what I'm doing, what I did. So i back six hours, six hours back home because I can afford like 50 cents to take a tap-tap. A tap-tap is a transportation in Haiti. So my sister was so excited, see me coming. I said, how'd that go? And I told her, Oh man, that's not the way. You know, she was so disappointed with me. So the very next day, you know, I take a bus and go back to Port-au-Points. I haven't come back to the city for like a year. So I decided to come back to the city one day. I sit down. There was uh, a church. Um, and in, in plain air. You know, every year there was probably like 300 churches get together for three days, but that was in plain air. So while I see that one and I heard a the, the hand, I said, Mr. Forge, and I look, that was her, you know. Wow. I said, oh, my heart was beating, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying not to make the same mistake, okay. So... And she said, can I sit by you? I said, oh, yes, yes. You know, I got a book in my hand. And, you know, I tried to put the book so she can sit. He said, no, I'm fine. You know, so she sit there. So I've been talking, but nothing about love. Nothing, you know, just things that's no value. But before she left to go home, I opened the books. I put something in the books. I tell her that I'm going to let you use that book. That book was uh, written by uh, African pastor, Andrew Abdul. So she loved that book, and then I gave it to her. And while she's leaving, I tell her that, excuse me, there's a little, you know, homework in, in that book, so please, you know, check it out <laughs> when you have time. So this is the homework. The first page, I put a J, like Je t'aime them mean I love you the first page I put a j and the second page there is a little apostrophe, you know, and then I go tem. so i i did I did that you know in the end of the books, and each page you know sometimes I flip like three pages you know and put a little um letter on it, so after a few days, no, a few weeks. And she bring back the books, you know, she came, you know, to see the doctor again with her mom and she gave the books. I said, do you realize what, do you find out what is in? in, in he said, yes. Yes. I said, what you said? Say, she said, well, I have to pray. I'm going to pray. Man, this lady take eight years, eight years to pray about it.
1: <laughs> eight years.
6: Eight years, my friend. And every Saturday, Every Saturday, she make me walk like almost 12 hours to go and see her on the mountain for eight straight
1: years. I think, had you not proposed the minute you saw her, it might have been three years. But <laughs> yes, I think I think yes. it was a five-year tax <laughs> yes. for being so aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she became your
6: wife. She became my wife.
1: The day she said, Phenomenal. okay. She day she said, okay. So, um, Andre, I think we can establish you grew up very poor. You had to go to an orphanage. You experienced sadness and bullying and the loss of your family. And somehow inside of you, it built a strength of a man who was willing to walk six miles every week for eight years (laughs) to find the love of his life. And um, uh, you're trying to figure your way out. Yes. What am I doing next? Well, um, after we,
6: okay, I just told you that when God call you in the ministry, he give you a package. Listen to this. And I'm pretty sure that my wife was in the package. While I was visiting my wife, my girlfriend, he he has two brothers, three brothers, but the older one is in port prince So the two brothers live with her. They hate me, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they hate, I don't know why, they hate me. Because so what, you're dating their sister. That's why they hate yeah, you. Yeah, but that's, that's not hating, man.
6: That's more than hate. Every time when I come, when I go over there and they said, get out, dog, get out, dog. They don't talk to me directly, but there wasn't no dog. That was me, you know. <laughs> so they decide to call Bigger Brother in port because Bigger Brother is doing, you know, karate, you know, things like that, So you know, to kick me out in the house. So one day, um, while I was coming on Saturday, my girlfriend just rung in the gate. He told me, please, please don't go today. Don't come today. You come another day. But she don't want to tell me what's going on in the house. I said, "Why?" You know. He said, "Please don't, don't, don't come another day." I said, "Yeah, but I have to come and say hello to your mama." He said, "No," you know. But I came anyway. Why I was sit down? You know, I heard a lot of discussion in the other room. You know, I hate it mostly. There's two rooms in the house, not more than two rooms. So I heard that my girlfriend was crying because. Uh, Her brother has a big stick in his hand and come out and (laughs) come out and and, you know, in the living room to hit me. And when he looked at me and he said, Andre, I said, Bob, how are women in the orphanage together?
1: (laughs) And he could no longer be angry at you because you were friends.
6: Yeah. He said Andre I say, Bob. you know the, uh, you know the good thing is and he told her mother, you remember when you come to see me at the orphanage because I used to live go to the orphanage and that person that you sleep, that was his grandpa, mama and the bread that you all you said that guy always give you that is his father. I said, thank God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that
6: was in the package. Okay. (laughs) I
1: I would say that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of, you're kind of in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. The family loves you. Yes. We'll be right back.
2: I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she? as my father believed, a witch. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you, here on Next Question, is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be, like are they gonna call me grandma, like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity
4: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: John, um, there's this crazy story of this guy from Haiti named Andre, who we've just learned all about. And your introduction to him was nothing more than really a miracle, too. And for our listeners, the whole reason I'm sitting here with Andre and John is because John heard an episode about Luke Mickelson from Sleep in Heavenly Peace, and um, I beg all of you to send me emails and tell me about stories, and John took me up on it, and you sent me a very long email that after reading it, my eyes had teared up, and I think I reached out to you immediately and said, I got to meet this guy. Right. But in the letter, you open with um, how you met him. Yeah. Tell us a story of how you came to to know Andre. All right. Well, Andre was
0: one of those people who wanted to come to the United States. And, And Andre expressed to me that in Haiti, everybody thinks of the United States there's just money lying along the side of the road. <laughs> and you could just scoop up the money if, if you need something and, and
1: get whatever it is that you need.
6: Well, every tree is the money. Every, every tree. tree. You no. can just <laughs> money yeah. growing on trees. Tree, you don't yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now that you've been here, you know that's not oh, the case. I'm
6: telling you. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. Well,
1: Andre, it,
0: something that he hasn't said is that he and his wife Angie actually raised seven children before they started their own family. And they were seven orphans, and this was the genesis of of the place of hope, actually. But he came to the United States so he could pick some of that money off the trees and help feed the kids with the seven children, with the seven children, and his wife, and his wife.
6: No, excuse me, the seven children that I I raised, no, that was in that was in Haiti. That's okay, I, when I came to United States, there was twenty. <laughs> Yeah, twenty.
0: Okay, twenty in, in a billion, and I'll I'll tell you about that in a second. Mm. But he comes to the United States, and he uh, he was trying to to raise money. He he got a phone call from somebody who was watching the kids, yeah, the house mother. Yeah, the house mother, and she she told him the kids have only had coconut to eat for the last three weeks. They have diarrhea. They're on the verge of dehydration. We need to do something. So Andre borrowed a car. And uh, started driving up the main road in Naples. He went to one church, church yes. there, and he pushes the doorbell. <clears throat> it was locked. It was a lockout. And they said, how can we help you? He said, well, I need to talk to somebody. I need to talk to the pastor. No, At yeah,
6: that time, only one bag of fries to send to Haiti
0: <coughs> and, for the kids. And uh, the, they said, the pastor's not here. And then finally, somebody came out and said, you're going to have to leave the property. Or
1: we're going to call the police. Well, Andre's here. And and the whole time, John, Andre's simply asking he's trying to tell the story of these kids at this orphanage yeah. in Haiti that need right. food. Yes. Yep. That are sick because right. all they've eaten for three weeks are
0: coconuts. And all he wants really is a bag of rice so he can send back to Haiti. A bag of rice. A bag Just of rice. Just that. That's all he wants. So after that experience, he he decides, well, I, I still have to find something. So he, he w- goes up to the next church, which we were the next church. I was pastoring at that church at that time in Naples. And uh, we remember that day a little bit differently. I'm, since you asked me, I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you my story. But I, I knocked on the door. I heard this knocking at the door. It's just a light tapping. And I look out and go out in the hall, and there's a glass doors at the end of the hall. And I look down the Hall and, and uh, here's a man, a Haitian man, literally cap in hand and uh, standing outside the door. And I open up the door and I say, how can I help you? And he said, I'd like to ask you about help for my orphanage. I said, well, why don't you come in my office and let's sit down and chat? So we went and we sat down and Andre, <laughs> since he the last church— they threatened to call the police on him. Mm-hmm. He left the car running.
1: Warning. In, the, in, the in, case, they, in yeah. case the police came. <laughs> and when he, down,
0: <laughs> when, when he sat down.
1: That's hilarious. When he
0: sat down on the chair in my office, he didn't sit all the way back. He sat on the edge yeah. so yeah, he could right, make a quick wrong, exit. Time to go. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, well, Andre, take my hands. Let's, let's pray. And so we sat and we prayed together. And then after our amen uh, I said, How can I help you? And then he told me about how he has twenty orphans in Haiti and uh they are on on the verge of dehydration and they need some help. Clearly on a shoestring budget, if any budget at all. Uh absolutely. And what he asked for, he said, We're trying to raise eighteen dollars a month for each of those kids. I said, Well hundred could- bucks a month. Five thousand five thousand a year. Well, and and he he knew I couldn't cover the whole thing, but he, there was enough there for me to, to go on. And so I said, well, how can I get back in touch with you tomorrow? I need to, I want to go and talk to my wife. So I went home that night, talked to my wife, and then called him the next day. My wife and I said, well, well, we we could take care of two of those orphans, but we'll pay the whole year now so that they could spread it among all the kids that way. I had a feeling that's what they're going to do anyway. So we said, okay. So we sent them, I think it was 380 bucks yes. or something like that. yes and that began our relationship. He came to our church. I uh, introduced him to some people. Some people put money in his hand. Eventually, our missions committee picked it up, and Andre had a, a growing concern at that point. It was a, a via, There was some viability to it. In the meantime, I had a small group that I was working with, and um, I told them about this, this guy in this orphanage, and they said, well, we ought to go over and take a look at it. So two of them, Went over. Uh, they flew over. I guess three, because Mike went. Mike Schaefer went Mike too. Mike Schaefer was there. Yes. So three of them went across to Haiti, and looked at the place. Well, the place that they had at the time, hmm. it was the orphanage was one room. It was just a, a singular. With building. twenty kids?
6: Twenty kids plus 20 kids. two workers.
0: One table, one chair, one spoon. No plumbing no electricity it was just a shelter and he had 20 kids he was operating out of that. and they looked at that and they said well gosh i don't know how this is ever going to work out well they all turned out to be very good supporters of the project and later on we would um andre we began to dream together what what's this what's your vision of this of this uh of this orphanage, Andre. And he would tell me what the vision was. And we begin to sketch little drawings out on a piece of paper. One of the things he said that'll come into play a little bit later on is, I said, listen, because he wants to put a church in. That was a principal criteria for him was to put a church on the property. And I said, well, Andre, if you put a church on that property, one day I'm going to come down, I'm going to preach in that church, and you're going to translate for me. And uh, Andre said, okay. What we didn't find out Until, I don't know, maybe it was 10 or 12 years later, I was sitting on the platform of that church and he looked at me and he said, "Uh, you know, this is an answer to prayer. And I said, how you talk? What do you mean? And he said, well, 10 or 12 or whatever period of time it was before we had sat down, we talked and you said that you're going to preach and I was going to translate today's the day. Well, that was right before i went up to the pulpit and by that time i had tears streaming down my cheeks from from the memory of us of doing that but but we dreamed together about what that campus might look like someday how how, how many years ago was this uh
1: this must have been in about oh four oh four so yeah. plus 18 minus. 19 years ago yeah. yeah so 18 19 years ago there was a quote Orphanage, right. which was a one-bedroom, right. no electricity, no water running right. place, where twenty kids were surviving for three weeks on coconut. Yep, and that was better than what they'd come from. Yes,
0: that yeah. yeah. and and I don't think any of us could really understand poverty until you've been down there and seen it. <laughs> we we have poverty here, but their poverty is. You you haven't eaten for a week. Andre told me a story about how he saw a man eating mud because he needed Mm -hmm. something in his stomach. The poverty down there is, um, it's stunning. And Andre didn't, he left out some of the parts of his story too, but uh, he came from serious poverty and so now when, when he hears somebody in America say,
6: well, I'm starving to death.
0: Well, to
6: him, <laughs> you're that- Just like my daughter, you know, he, she live here. And sometimes she, Dad, I'm hungry. You know, I'm starving. And I starve, and do you know what starving mean? He say, I'm hungry, Dad. And then the fridge, there's milk, there's peanut butter, you know, there's bread. And you told me starving, you know. And then sometime when I was a little kid, I go to school with one orange for all day. Eight o'clock, you have to be at school until four o'clock. Come home. Sometimes when you come home, there's nothing to put in your stomach. You know, you go to bed, stomach empty. And you told me that you're starving. You know, you don't know what, <laughs> what starving means.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I, th- I think for perspective, it's really important to understand that uh, money doesn't grow on trees in the United States. But when a kid who we would say in the U.S. is in poverty gets to go to school and get free breakfast and free lunch, um, who almost assuredly can find shelter and clothing and an education and transportation and most likely have the basic sustenance Provided for yeah that while the American dream is not that, and I'm not discounting that level of American poverty to a Haitian kid that's rich, yeah, absolutely, and we need to keep in perspective what what real poverty looks like in parts of our world, and yep. Haiti is three hundred and fifty miles off the Texas coast that, in our hemisphere, yeah, just below Cuba. Just below Cuba. Mm -hmm. We're we're not talking about some faraway mythical place. We're talking about people who share the Gulf of Mexico with-
0: Two-hour plane ride.
1: What's that? Two-hour plane ride from Miami. Two-hour plane ride from Miami. Yep. And we're talking about children that literally are starving to death. Yeah. And so a guy like Andre steps up and says, "Okay, I'm going to take care of twenty of these kids in a one room hut." And that's and
0: as as Andre said, and I think that that's appropriate, is that life is a package, and the fact that Andre came from that poverty is what gave him the vision and the mission to help kids who are in poverty. But not only
1: the poverty, the
0: um. The orphanage itself. Agreed. The love, as we mentioned before. Yeah, it was
1: interesting the- when you said, Andre, that um, you got mules and you had a roof over your head, but you didn't have the love. Oh, it wasn't there. It wasn't there.
6: That's so, the reason. That's the reason
1: I, um, when we have the
6: team from Memphis, you know, they come to do hard work for us, but they're always two or three holy kids.
1: Well, and see, that's interesting because I'm from Memphis. Everybody knows I'm a Memphis guy. But, John, when you emailed me, you emailed me from Naples, Florida. Right. And you're talking about a pastor I've never heard of from Haiti. Yeah. And I had no idea that there was a Memphis connection. Yeah. I didn't either at the time. And only learned it recently. Yeah. Well, there wasn't at that time, was there? Well, the
0: Memphis connection came really after the, the current campus had gotten mostly finished. Our church and churches in the Naples area helped on the front end, putting together what I'd call the the hardware. And the the Hope Presbyterian Church here in Memphis created really the software, which is... Explain the hardware. Okay. The hardware is is the physical plant. When we started building that campus, first of all, the the story and andre should tell you the story on how he purchased the property so that because they were meeting in the, in that one room home they went they moved to a second uh, a, a second home that had two rooms in it so it was really uptown. Doubled in size. Double inside. No plumbing but still had electricity. That was pretty exciting. It had a TV but it didn't work. So, <laughs> so so Andre had found a piece of property that he really liked and I thought that chance and so
6: Andre went to work. And how did you find the L- piece property? How did you buy the piece property? This is a good question. Okay, okay? Good. thank you. When I was working to see my wife, to see my girlfriend, oh no, I always see the property. Uh, okay, so now I say, man, if I have that property, I will buy it and build an orphanage, church, school, and clinic. You know, that was my dream. That was your dream. That was my dream, <laughs> was my dream. but. I never go actually to the property because he is probably like fifty feet above the ocean.
1: Yeah, and you're walking okay. six miles yeah. anyway. He yeah. wants to take so an to extra truck you, up a hill. Yeah,
6: but you cannot go to the somebody's property like that. They're going to question you. Got okay. It. But thank God one day I saw um a lot of women and kids with shot in, you know, they have some a bucket knife, you know, and they were so happy and running in the mountain. And I look on the ocean. The ocean is right there. And I saw a lot of men on the boat, you know, on the ocean. And I told that little boy, what's going on over there? You know, he didn't even take time to talk to me. I really want to go up that mountain. So I I get that opportunity to go to to go there too. And I was looking at the property and said, Man, that's going to be a church and orphanage, things like that. But I asked him, what's going on? What's going on in the ocean? You know, in United States, I live in Florida, okay? And then when somebody saw a shark, they said, shark, they're wrong for their life. But in Haiti, the shark won for his life.
1: <laughs> because it's food. <laughs>
6: that's food right there. So that's why the Roman was ready, you know, to get some good meat from that shark, you know? So wow. this, they got him. That's a big shark. The shark. Run for his life, you know. Yeah. But he will run for the show and uh, uh, not in Haiti.
0: <laughs> well, Andre went after that property. And, uh Andre, tell him about how you you yes. were working. Andre, Andre was working.
6: I was working in a warehouse, okay? I got a job, you know, and I was working in a warehouse. Self-storage. And, yeah, self-storage place. So people dump a lot of good stuff, you know, and, that's, and that things. When I go to the... um. Dumpster, I said. Oh, man, that's TV, radio, and stuff like that. Clothes, things I never see before, and they walk. So I went to my boss. I told my boss, "Can I use those?" He said, "Oh yeah, that's trash. <laughs> trash for you, not for me." So, and then I started collecting those stu- those um, stuff. And then uh, I collect so much, I don't have a place to put it. So I asked him if he and give me like a five-by-five, you know, to put those things. So he talked to the owner. The owner said, oh, that's fine. So they give me five-by-five, so I put all this thing stuff in there. But there's some Haitian who came on the boat. They can't read. They cannot write. Okay, so I want to help them. So I went to the community center to teach them how to read, you know, and things like that. So they give me one hour. So <clears throat> I told them that I had, uh, you know, the TV thing for sale, you know, it's not cost too much. So they came to the warehouse, you know, I started selling them like for a dollar, two dollars, you know, and 50 cents, this thing like that. And then I got, uh, I got the money and when I was to go home, I said, uh-uh, I'd rather leave the money right there. Because you know there's a ice cream chalk come every afternoon, and I have kids, so <laughs> they will ask me for money, so that's money I was raised for that land because my brother in law called me about the land, I said, "I'm going to buy it everything that I sell, I put it in the envelope, and I asked my boss to leave it in his office and my boss later once, he, he, no, he's, he's, uh later on no he is the um chairman of the board, so what I did. After a few months, so I asked him, you know, let's open it together. That's money. Okay. So we opened it together, $4,000. Wow. From the trash. So we went to a wire transfer and we um, we wired the money. So we make our first deposit. And most of that money coming from that dumpster. And then we get a few from, you know, Pastor John, friends, you know, stuff like that. And then, After I paid the land, I got the deed and everything, you know, I'm good. So I'm ready to start doing the building. So one day I went to the dumpster, you know, thinking that I'm going to get, you know, some good stuff. You know what I find? What? A dead cat.
0: You got a good price for that too, didn't you? <laughs> oh
6: my God. It was a dead cat. So that's when the Lord said, "Okay, that's enough. That's enough." Okay.
0: <laughs> so he was able to purchase yeah, this he, piece of property, seven acres on the Caribbean Sea, fronting the Caribbean Sea. For How much?
6: much? Seventy thousand dollars.
0: Seventy thousand yeah. dollars. But he he raised that money from dumpster diving. Seventy thousand dollars. Yes. I think this is important for your army to know, Bill, that that persistence when you have a vision when you have a mission and you have that
1: persistence that'll pay off and this is a man who walks six hours every Saturday for eight years to get a wife that's right dumpster diving on balance is just not that big a deal I don't think.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll be right back.
2: Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Hurick. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks.
0: We sent a, an engineer, a civil engineer, down. They they surveyed the property and they drew out a sketch of, um, you know, where this would go, where this would go. So we so we had, uh, according to Andre's vision, we put a dormitory on, a vocational school, a clinic, and a church building, and we put that all on the property.
1: And uh, so the, so the, so the, the I, drawing. you met him eighteen to nineteen years. I'm trying to get a timeline. Yeah. And how long after that was he able to buy the property? A couple, three years later? Is that right? Uh, I would would stretch it out a little bit more. I'd
0: probably say four or five years.
1: Okay. So around 2010, he bought the property. Plus or minus, yeah. And then he said, got to have a church. Yeah. Got to have buildings for the kids. Yeah. How long from 2010 did it take to get to a campus? Here's where the rest of the hardware comes in. So...
0: Uh, About that time, a gentleman in Naples, his name is Dick Stonecipher. We call him Stoney. Stoney was a direct report to Jack Welch. He ran GE Appliance. Wow. He he went to our church. He was a friend, and he said, we need to make this work. So Stoney got involved. When Stoney got involved, things began to happen, and we built up a board. I I say we. I, I shouldn't say we because Truth of the matter is, I was the pastor of the church. Andre did most of this by himself. I had some connections. What I do is I match people with resources, and that's what I do. I I develop people. I develop relationships. And I put the two of them together, and then they built this uh, property. And I bet you uh, that property, they probably have had about a million and a quarter, plus or minus, minus. Into that property to build that campus, so now that there is a dormitory that'll accommodate up to a hundred kids, indoor plumbing, electricity, wired for electricity,
1: indoor plumbing and electricity doesn't sound like that big a deal. Except the vast majority of people in Haiti don't have indoor plumbing it, it, and electricity. Exactly, so it's, exactly, it's the Taj Mahal. Yeah, exactly,
0: and a vocational school that has a decked-out carpentry shop. There's a a welding shop. There is a small engine mechanic so they could fix motorbikes. And for the ladies, he has a, a sewing class with, and they have how many, you suppose? 20 sewing machines, would you say? About yeah. 20 sewing machines in there to t- teach them a trade. What would you say that, Andre? What would you say the um, unemployment rate is in Haiti?
6: Well, on on-primer, I would say probably, you know, like. Oh, uh, 60% or how level. much? Yeah, 60. Did you say 60? I would have yeah. said 70,
1: but he says yeah. 60, and so we'd say- So now, you're telling me three out of 10 people, four out of 10 people have a job? Yeah.
0: Now, some people stand by the side of the road and try to sell mangoes. I don't wouldn't call that a job. But if you're talking about a job, career type of job, I'd say that- is probably conservative as far as unemployment goes.
1: So, all right. So, once this campus is the land's bought, the campus is built, yeah, 2015. Yes, about that. About the same. Okay. So, in about 2000, you have a dream. You go dumpster diving. You save up money. You buy the land. Pastor John puts you in touch with some people that help you build it out, and in 2015, you have a seven-acre orphanage with dorms, a church, a clinic for health and medicine. You have places to teach applied skills so that people can leave the orphanage and become gainfully employed as masons or welders or mechanics or seamstresses, which is a big deal when 60% of the population is unemployed. And you go from these 20 kids in a one-room house to how many kids in this orphanage now?
6: Uh, Well, we have uh, 50, uh, 45 kids. We used to have like uh, 60 kids. You know, they're growing up and some of them now go into university. You know, the, some of them- are going to college? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> some That's are, amazing. There's one of them going to graduate next month, you know, an American university, one of the bigger university in Lake well, I, are you bringing in new children, young children all uh, the time? Yes, yes. But right now, because of the circumstances, you, you know- Because um, of the what? Uh, the, the manuals, you know.
1: Because
6: it's financial. expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive. Well, and the board, <laughs>
0: um, Stony ate- he didn't really age out technically, but he got to the place where the, it was too much, and uh, so he left the board, and the board kind of fell apart at that point. So they're in a, in a reconstituting the board. They're going into the next iteration of the board for Place of Hope. Now this is why the Hope Church yes. here in Memphis has been yes. such a tremendous help to them, because now that the hardware's up and Stony largely responsible for that. Now that the hardware's up, then the software comes in behind it. And when I say software, what I mean is these are the people who care for the children, who hold the children, who really take an interest in the kids. I'm not saying that that didn't happen under Stoney's direction, but
1: this group has been extraordinary in
0: helping out in that regard.
1: Which is the weird Memphis connection that I never yeah. knew existed? And yeah. here's Hope Church in Memphis. Unbelievable!
6: And then, the, then to, the to, to 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 tell great. you that that was the best team when they're going to Haiti, sixteen of them they walk. You know, um, they haven't been in Haiti for four years now, five years, and then I'm telling you, um, because of them, the way they teach the kids, you know, to do now the kids do their own. Dress, uniform, because there was a lady in that team who wanted to teach them how to make dress. So they make the dress and the uniform. And even the bed, they make their own bed now because they teach the kid. Every time when they go over there, they not walk for, by himself. They took the kids with them, you know, to watch them, what's going on. You
1: Which know. is an interesting segue. Yes. So... Over the course of twenty years, gone from a one-bedroom house with 10, twenty kids eating so much uh, coconut, uh, coconut that they're almost dead, and you're looking for a bag of rice, and you end up meeting the gentleman on your left who um, provides so much more in terms of oh yes mentoring and friendship and introductions where your search for a bag of rice for 20 kids is now turned into a second seven-acre place caring for 45 to 60 kids. And what seems like to be, by Haitian standards, maybe the finest place a kid could ever end up, and it's called A Place for Hope, Yes. orphanage. And the kids make their own... Outfits. They make their own uniforms, right? They make their own beds. They, because of the shop that's there, because of the hardware that's been installed, and because of the software of the love and the compassion and the teaching and the mentoring, all of this is happening. And then John's listening to a podcast one day. Yeah, you know, I, I heard uh,
0: Brian Kilmeade interview you, and then after I listened to that podcast, I said to my wife, "You know what I?" Why don't we just watch that undefeated documentary? So we watched that undefeated documentary. Very impressed with what you did there. Fantastic. And then you mentioned something about an army of normal folks on that. And I said, well, I'm going to just start listening to that. And I started listening to your podcast. I think every pastor should listen to your podcast because every pastor needs to find ways, creative ways, to get into the communities And what I've heard from your podcast is a a myriad, well, not quite a myriad, but we're getting there, a myriad of ways of reaching into the community by an army of normal folks, which is what every church is. So I listened to that podcast. and Every church should be, John. Yeah. Yeah. What every church should be. Yeah. Okay. Well, and every pastor should. And and this is the thing. You, You have so many, you've interviewed so many people with the creative ways of reaching into it. And I look for creative ways to get into the community. Nice. And so when I was listening to this, I heard this, and I heard this one about making beds. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I just wonder what, what Pastor Andre would think of this particular podcast. So I bookmarked it, and then I called, as soon as I finished, I called him up and said, Andre, what are you doing now? Well, nothing. And I said, come on over here. I want to I play this podcast for you. So we sat there and we listened to that podcast. And at the end of that podcast, Andre got a little emotional. And uh, I said, "Well, what what's going on?" And he said, "John, that's my story. That is my story. I didn't have a bed when I was growing up. And then when I came to the United States, there were seven children, and me and Angie, and uh, we had one bed, one bed for all of those all those people." And he said, "That's my story." And so at that time, we decided that um, maybe maybe we're gonna shift our paradigm slightly so that we're going to self-consciously now. The Place of Hope has always tried to get into their community, but never really self-consciously, always accidentally. But now maybe self-consciously, we need to be reaching into the community. And instead of being purely a resource consumer, we need to be resource distributors.
3: I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question. I promise you have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time
1: To remind our listeners, some have maybe have heard the episode, others have not. I highly suggest you go to Luke Mickelson's interview, his, um, his, uh, organization called Sleep in Heavenly Peace. And this is a guy who is sick of watching his kids sit around on the couch eating bonbons and playing video games. And one Christmas and Thanksgiving holiday time, went and got some wood and made a couple of bunk beds in his garage. And once he made the bunk bed, he didn't have anything to do with it. His kids didn't need it, but the kids got some exercise. They got to do something together and he put it on Facebook and like 20 people said, I want this bed. And he gave it away to somebody in need. And he said, heck, we're going to make another one. And by Christmas, I think he and his children had made 15 or 20 beds Mm -hmm. and given them away. And through that, simple random act he found out uh maybe even invented a term which is called child bedlessness in the united states Mm -hmm. and found out that there's children all over the united states sleeping on clothes or on a rolled up piece of carpet or nothing um early on he gave a bed to a kid that would take off their clothes, sleep on the clothes, and then put those very clothes on to go to school. So literally, they were wearing their bed to school. And his eyes were opened to the fact that there's poverty to a level in our country where children have no beds. And when they don't have a bed, they don't sleep well. When they don't sleep well, they don't study well. And when they don't study well, they're irritable. And when they're irritable, they don't do well in school. And then they have... All kinds of behavioral issues, and the list goes on and on. And it's so simple that a child needs a bed, a good place to sleep. And so he started sleeping in heavenly peace. And since this has all happened, I think they've made and given away over seven, how many, Alex?
4: 140,000 beds.
1: 140,000 beds. Yeah, wow. To bedless children in the United States. And so that's. The podcast you listened to, John, yeah, that that's, you shared with Andre. Yes, right. Yes. And then Andre got emotional because Andre identified. Yeah. Mm. And the irony is, Andre, I just believe that the reason in 20 years you've gone from a plot of property that some children and women were excited about a dead shark on <laughs> to now an orphanage taking care of. 45 to 60 kids a year and providing them with skills and food, but most importantly, love. Yes. Which you said was missing from your experience that you want to provide your children Mm. from. Well, I I believe the success of that comes from your experience as a three to six-year-old. Yes. And now you hear this podcast that John shares with you. And, John, you just said you wanted to go from being a consumer to a provider. Andre, tell us now what your vision is for the kids in your orphanage with regard to pets.
6: Well, my vision is to go and do the beds, make the
1: kids do the Um, beds. So so let me just get this right. Orphans with no family – and no home, or maybe family that can't care for them, but certainly no home, who are living in an orphanage, are now going to use the campus that has been created that has a wood shop. And now orphans are going to be making beds yeah. for Haitian children who don't live don't in the have, orphanage, yes. but don't have a bed. So now the orphans in the orphanage are going to serve their community. By making beds in the shop that they learn how to do woodworking. Yes. That's what they're going to do. What's phenomenal about the story to me, why I wanted to meet you so bad, and what is so redemptive and inspirational to me is is this. When you think of an orphan, when you think of kids living in an orphanage, you think of serving them. You don't think of them serving others. Right. And the phenomenal lesson is for the kids in the orphanage, by comparison in Haiti, look at the blessings you have to be able to live in this magnificent place. And even though you've been orphaned, you too can serve. I don't know that there's a more valuable lesson a child could ever learn than what you're going to teach them through this exercise. And to the community at large, I mean, it 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 really has the potential to change the lives of some really unfortunate yes. poverty-sticking children. Yes. How does that make you feel?
6: Right. You know, that's make me feel great. That's make me feel happy, you know. Um, all this trouble I went to, God was preparing me for that.
1: So, John, <laughs> the show is an army of normal folks, and what we always find out at the end of the show is that these normal folks are anything but normal, thus, the nickname, I guess, Andre the Giant Andre the for a five foot nine Haitian.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um you've seen this for the last 20 years. Yeah, You've witnessed it all. You've been a part of it. You've been a party to it. Um, you know what it is now, and you know where it came from, and you've watched this man take his dream with absolutely no resources and dumpster dive and beg, borrow, and I won't say steal, but beg, borrow, and knock on church windows to to get it to where it is now where's what's next well
0: what's next is to reconstitute the board and then to ensure that these children that are coming through the place of hope learn how to return to the community what they've received Um, well making beds for children who don't have them is a a good first step it is a good first step and in in haiti my observation has been that there is a patronage culture, which is to say that many of the people in Haiti are waiting to be rescued right for someone to to mm-hmm. rescue them, take them out of it. What is less prevalent is an entrepreneurial spirit, and so the the I think the next step for the folks in Haiti is to become food secure self-sufficient so that they can grow their own food or produce their own own buildings, Mm -hmm. get everything so that they could be self-sustaining so that they don't have to depend on anybody and to teach those kids that entrepreneurial spirit so that when they leave that place with a skill, they know then how to go and start a business of their own and sustain themselves. That's the, I think that's the next big step for them.
1: Andre, you are an amazing human being with an amazing story, and um, this is an amazing happenstance that a pastor from Florida answered the door on a knock from Andre and what has all developed and then comes full circle to hear one of our podcasts that now is returning back to Haiti where kids are going to make kids, orphans in an orphanage are going to make beds for the kids in the community that don't have them in one of the most poverty-stricken places that I could imagine. And John and Andre, both of you, could not be more emblematic of what we talk about when we talk about an army of normal folks that – See places of need and don't fill them because they're a listers or trust fund babies, but just normal folks who see places of need and and fill it, and in doing so, change lives. And you both have done that, and your life has been doing that, Andre. And um, I'm so <laughs> I'm so honored that we got to have this conversation. I'm humbled. And inspired by by both of your commitment and story to children who desperately need it. Um, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming to Memphis and sharing your story with me.
6: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: And thank you for joining us this week. Um, A little update. Our team at An Army of Normal Folks has decided to donate a thousand bucks to help the orphanage with material costs for building four beds, which are more expensive in Haiti because getting the materials to Haiti is so expensive. And Reverend John's church has decided to match another $1,000 gift. If you'd be interested in empowering Haitian orphans to help bedless kids and their community, you can donate any amount to placeofhopeinhaiti.org and write beds in the comment box, or if you'd be interested in helping the orphanage in general, you can of course do that as well. And if Andre or John or other guests have inspired you in general, or better yet to take action, please seriously y'all let me know. I wanna hear about it. You can write me anytime at bill at normal and I will respond. If you enjoyed this incredible episode, which I cannot imagine, how you could enjoy this episode. Share it with friends and on social. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review it. Become a premium member at normalfolks.us. All these things that will help us grow an army of normal folks. Remember, guys, the more people, the more impact. I'm Bill Courtney. I'll see you next week.
3: Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to
5: Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.